You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. Today we're going to talk about a little bit, well, I'm going to say it's actually the emphasis of the message because I'm speaking today, uh, beginning the series, Luke, Settled Truth for Unsettled Times. And the Gospel of Luke was written by a doctor. And how many know that doctors just see the world different? If you're a doctor, please don't be offended at that. But how many know doctors see the world a little bit differently? That's part of their training. It's part of their upbringing. It's who they are, Okay. And so they have a, uh, a way of processing a wor- the world and seeing things that other people may see, and they have a different perspective and a different emphasis. And so he was emphasizing a couple things here that he felt some of the other Gospels were not emphasizing. And that's one of the beauties about having four Gospels. You get different perspectives on Jesus' ministry. So let's everybody stand today for the reading of the Word. We're just going to read the first four verses. It sets the stage, and, uh, and then we'll go from there. Let's begin. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. The Holy Spirit, I pray that your word would guide our thoughts, but more than that, let it influence our expressions in life. And may we have a certainty about the, the values and the principles that we are living by. And God, we ask, challenge us where we're not following your principles. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. You can be seated. So a little bit more about Luke. Luke was not a follower of Christ while Christ was living. He was actually converted by the Apostle Paul. But again, it's his, it's his angle of who he is as a doctor that provides a rather unique insight, some of the stories that he emphasizes. And as we look at this, he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. We believe he's actually referring to Mark and to Matthew. By this time, we know Mark has written his gospel. We suspect also that Matthew, and he's not countering or or coming against what they wrote. He just has a perspective of other things that he wants to emphasize. And what's interesting is what he says. It says this. He said, I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. So in other words, his context, or his context of being a follower of Paul took him to a lot of venues where Jesus administered. And he was getting firsthand stories of people who said, not only I was there, we suspect some of those people who would say, this is what Jesus did in my life. He then says to write an orderly account. Why is that important? Because for you and I, we sometimes have the ability or we, we process things differently. And Mark had an emphasis, and and Matthew had an emphasis, 
and Luke is writing to Greeks. They're not Jew, they don't have a Jewish history. Most of them are Greek. They're Gentiles. In fact, I'll tell you this. If you weren't of Greek culture or of Roman culture, they considered you to be a barbarian. So unless, unless you're of a Greek origin or a Roman origin this morning, most of you would be considered barbarians in Rome. I would like to welcome this barbarian church today. That was, that's how they saw the world. And so he's just trying to put it in a way that they can get it. And what's ironic is this. I would say this is my opinion. Luke probably tells the, the, the story of Jesus in a more connective way for how we naturally think here in the United States. I am not minimizing Matthew, Mark, or John. But Matthew was written to the Jewish people, okay? He cites the Old Testament over 66 times. So unless you're of Jewish origin, you sometimes don't pick all that up. But if you're a Jewish person and you're reading Matthew, you're seeing the Old Testament jumping off the page almost every other verse or so. It's there. And Mark was writing to the Christians who were in Rome who were about to go into the arenas and face certain death. And they just wanted to simply know, are you sure this Jesus is God? Because I'm about to die for what I believe. And because of that, they're going to kill my family. I need to know that this is a real deal. So Mark just skips over Jesus' birth. Because how many know when you're about to die, the birth is the least of your questions? You just want to know, is this the real deal? So Luke, though, like I said, he comes more from an angle of who you and I are. And then notice this, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. How many would agree, if there's ever a time in our culture to to absolutely be certain about what we believe it's now. Because we find so much, even, even so-called people who call themselves leaders in the faith are beginning to fragment off from what we call biblical truth and biblical values. They're, they're omitting, they're changing, they're evolving, they have all these phraseology. But basically what it says is this, what they used to proclaim as certainty, they're not saying that anymore. And it's causing confusion. And so this is the same thing that Luke was, was addressing. Luke wanted to say, listen, Rome has a competing value system that we have. And so while his emphasis was to prove that Jesus was the Son of God, in doing that, he also presents some, some themes. And he reveals some of the principles that guide the kingdom of God. And so we won't be going verse by verse. I'm just going to show you how he laid in some themes inside the Gospel of Luke that shows us the principles that guided Jesus' teaching. So we have what Jesus taught, right? So there's guiding principles under this, and it's really interesting how Luke layered it in. Now, you and I, we have this mentality. Why can't you just put it in chronological order? You know, let me just start at the beginning. And there are parts of Luke that are chronologically in order, but I'm, I don't know about you, I watch sometimes these TV shows, and I hate it when they go from present day to past day, and then they're back to the present day, and they're back to the past day, and I'll look at my wife and go, are we in the present day or in the past? <laughs> Get tired of them jumping, you know, if, if the past is so important, why didn't they start there? <laughs> you know? Once you give me a track line of a timeline, I want you to stick with it. You know, don't, don't, be, don't be back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, and, and she said, honey, pay attention to the clothes and the hairstyles. It tells you when they're back there, and it tells you when they're there today. And I'm like, honey, I'm a guy. I'm not paying attention to the wardrobe there. I just... And so that can make Luke a little difficult because he does put some... 
He puts just enough in chronological order that we think, oh, it's all there. No, no, no. He, he's, proving some, he's proving some things about Jesus, but it's really cool how he unpacks and reveals some of these themes. And so one of those is this. The reason he was showing some of these major themes is Roman culture had a very different set of values compared to Christianity. I mean, radical. Very, 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 very different. And one of the challenges the Christians had was this. So we have this Roman Empire that's trying to impose its value systems on us. And you're telling us that we need to live different from those values. You understand Rome doesn't like us. And if we start living by a different set of values than the one that Rome is teaching us, this, this could get us killed. If there's anything that those folks learned in their day was this. You never want Rome to notice you. Okay? The best thing that could happen under Roman rule, stay anonymous. Do not be different. Being different can cause all kinds of problems. And so the Christians just had some straight-up answers or some uh, straight-up questions. And Luke is just simply going to answer those questions. And so it has to do with what we're looking at today. Okay? Uh, you notice we highlighted some right-to-life organizations. Many times in the story of Luke, we go to the birth of Jesus. Right? And how many know it's preceded by the story of John the Baptist? Now, I'm going to confess something to you. Can I confess a failure? Wow, church doesn't want to know my failures. How cool is that? Most people in a church, when their pastor says, I'm about to confess a failure, yeah, talk to us, man. Did you know I've never preached a message on Luke chapter 1? Yeah, I'm like, how did that happen? I mean, I've been preaching uh, eight or nine years. I'm now 29. Uh, that's just to see if you were listening. Uh, yeah, I'm like, I, I mean, I've always just leaped to Jesus' birth, you know? We just did it, right? Christmas, right? And so the beauty of the story of, so I'm not going to preach about Jesus' birth. I'm going to talk about John the Baptist's because Luke is, remember, he's a doctor. He's emphasizing the activity of God associated with a birth. That's not the Son of God. See, if I said all this about this, I'd go, well, yeah, he's a son of God, of course, yeah. Okay, so what about us normal people? Okay, well, John the Baptist was a normal person. And let me show you how he shows, because here's this. Rome is a culture of death. Okay? If you upset Rome, their rulers could sentence you to death with no hearing. Okay? Herod himself was a, was a wicked ruler, and we're going to get into that in just, just a little bit. But let's go to the home. When a child was born, the father had absolute power to decide if that child would live or die. On the spot. He could, if he turned his thumb down, that child would die on the spot. And there was nobody that was going to come and arrest the dad. There was nobody that was going to charge the dad. There was nobody in the family who could come again. He had the legal right to decide if he wanted that child to live or to die. And it was that way in Rome as well. Rome had the ability. Their leaders, if they didn't like a group of people, they could kill them. There was nobody to appeal the decision. There was nobody, nobody to say, hey, that was genocide. It was, there was no correction. And so really, Rome has this culture of death to intimidate people to follow them. They needed that culture of death to be able to force people into their kingdom, their empire, and to make them behave. And you and I would say this is the last time, this is the last place on earth right now that you would want to bring the Son of God. 
Why would you let the life, the way, the truth, the life be born when there's such a strong culture of death? And I'll say it this way. God always challenges a culture of death with a culture of life. God says, I'll take that on. Give me your darkest, baddest people. I will not run from them. I will not hide from them. I will challenge them. And God says, I will challenge death with life. And we'll take on that challenge. And that's what you see unpacked in in Luke chapter 1. So everybody, read number 1. God is active in culture. We sometimes forget that God is active long before a life is conceived, long before a life is able to take its first breath. And the reason Luke mentions this, he says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, why would he strategically make sure, because this is, this is almost 50 years, 60 years later, okay, after Jesus' birth. Why would he want to tell the people who was ruling that region at that time? Because that name had a disgusting factor associated with it. And he was showing them that God took the nastiest time to decide to bring life into the culture and to challenge that culture of death. Let me tell you about Herod real quick. First of all, he drowned his brother-in-law because he didn't like him. Later on, he executed his uncle, Joseph. Then he killed his father-in-law, John. Then he killed his first wife. Then he killed his mother-in-law. Then he killed another brother-in-law. And then he got sideways with three of his sons and he killed all three of them. Now, how many know that's a family when they have a family reunion? I don't know if it's a family reunion or Herod's taking a, he's making a list. I don't think we ought to go to the family reunion. It seems like every year somebody's missing. And you know what? There's nobody to even correct Herod. In fact, he was so wicked, he was so mean. Remember when Jesus was born and he heard the prophecy that there was a that the Son of God, the Messiah, had been born in Bethlehem, and he said, I want every child, male, two years and under, killed tonight. There was no place for anybody not only to appeal the decision before it was carried out, there was no even chance of getting any justice after it happened. That was Herod. And so God, he, what he's saying is this. You all, you all know about that dark time. And in the middle of the worst of the worst, God was working. He was there. He was orchestrating a plan when everybody thought there's no hope of a plan. The second thing is this. Read this out loud. Character. Everybody's into this thing about the sovereignty of God, that character, but we need to know that character influences God's activity in a person's life. God's going to do what he's going to do no matter what. Well, I'm going to say that God has a plan and he's going to go ahead with it, but your obedience determines how much you get to be a part of it. And you notice here in verse 6, both of them were righteous. This is referring to John the Baptist's uh, two parents. It says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So you see that they had created a culture in their own life to be the recipients of God's activity. But if we're not careful, God can have a plan for your life. But we can make a, listen, we can make decisions that sabotage what God wanted. 
And sometimes people make bad choices that sabotage God's activity. And then they write up, well, it must not have been God's will. No, it was God's will. It was your disobedience. It's, it's so sad that people want to blame God for the outcomes of their own disobedience. No, God wanted to do something there. He wanted to help you. He wanted to bless you. He wanted, but you made choices. You circumvented it. You sabotaged it. Number three, read this. God is working in the lives of the dad and mom before a child is born. That may be a weird way to say it. But sometimes we have to remind ourselves that every time a, a child is conceived, there is a mom and there's a dad. And the circumstances may not be the most ideal. And we have to pray that God help me to see your activity in that dad. Whether he's a good one or a bad one or it was, it was an awful situation, but God, you're working in that man. And, and I don't know how you need to work. I just know that you are. And you're working in that mother who now carries a child in her womb. You are working in. But he's working in them even before it happens. Notice this. Luke 1, verses 8 through 11. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Do you notice that sometimes God just works through chance? We, sometimes we can't coordinate the speed of our life. We're not smart enough to know where we need to be and when we need to be there. And God just has a way of timing our life that one day we find ourselves in the right place at the right time in front of the right person. And you would love to say how brilliant you were, but you absolutely had no influence, no clue. Five minutes earlier, you would have messed it up. Five minutes later, you would have missed it. And yet, boom, God had you there at the right place in the right time. And you look at everything that's happened in life, you go, so that explains all the start, stop, start, stop that God had going into my life. He was trying to regulate my pace in life so I'd be here for this. Sometimes I got going too fast and he had to the brakes. And other times God says, you're going to miss it and you better pick it up. So God was working in this man. It says, and when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. God's activity showed up in his life even before his wife had conceived, but he was already starting to work in him. And then you find just the opposite with, or the, the very same thing, but just with, with his wife Elizabeth. It said, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. You know why she was in seclusion? Because she was scared to death. She was, quote, too old. And how many know sometimes you sit on good news because you don't want to spoil it, you want to make sure it's all good? And sometimes we sit on something... Man, I believe, I want to tell people that right now, I just want to make sure this takes root, this good, all's well. I don't want to prematurely give a shout of hallelujah, then, then I'm devastated. I just, she holds it. And it, finally she says, in these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So we recognize here that the activity of God is working in dad, and it's working in mom. And the question we have to sometimes say is this. I, I, I'll tell you, as a pastor, I have to say this often. God, I'm talking to this guy, and I have absolutely no idea what's going on in him. And I need you to show me something. 
You don't have to tell me everything. Just tell me enough that I can be of help right now. God, I don't know what's going on with this lady. I have no idea. I, I want to help her, but I don't know what to do. You've got to show me enough so that I know what I can do here. You don't, you don't have to tell me her whole life. I don't need to know all of her business. But I need to know enough so that I can fulfill what you've put me here to do. You want me to help people. Well, then you've got to show me things. I, I just I want to bless them. How many have ever tried to do something good to find out later you made it worse? See, years, years ago. You know, we're newlyweds. We're getting started in life. We need a lot of stuff in the house. It's my wife's birthday, so I bought a color television. I thought, made her happy, got us a color TV. Let's just say we had a color TV, but there wasn't anybody happy. You know, it just seemed, I'm telling you, as I stood there in the store, it just made sense. Any men, can I get a witness? It worked. The salesman agreed with me. You know, it just, it all worked. It was just, it just, I win-win. That's why I said, sometimes we, you know, you step out and you go, well, I guess that wasn't a good idea. Number four, read it out loud. The activity of God is in the mother's womb as the child is being formed. This runs totally counter to what our culture says right now. And here's the thing you need to hear from your pastor. I'm not trying to represent any political party. So please don't send me a text, email, phone call, whatever, about some political platform. Really don't care about the political platforms as it relates to this. I'm not coming from, a, or from a, uh, a political party platform on this. I'm coming from a biblical platform. And I want to show you, okay, you say, well, you're making me uncomfortable. Well, praise God, I'm doing my job. <laughs> I mean, I, shouldn't we be learning something that challenges us, stretches me, makes me think? Because Luke said, I want you to know this with certainty, okay, certainty. He said, no, notice this, he's, he's talking about John the Baptist. This is not Jesus' birth, this is John the Baptist's birth. And in Luke 1.15, the parents are told this, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. Does anybody need me to parse that for you? A child can be filled with the Holy Spirit before they come out of the womb. How many know as a follower of Christ that shakes your world it shakes any type of worldview that you've adopted that is not biblical wow so in essence is this mess with god's child mess with his holy spirit oh i got more i knew you had questions so <laughs> look at luke 1 41 when elizabeth heard mary's greeting the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. So we read here that, the, that a woman, listen to me, a woman who is pregnant is literally an incubator for the, the, the Holy Spirit's activity. She embodies the activity of the Holy Spirit inside of her. Wow. That'll change how you start viewing things. That'll change the conversation. That'll, that'll influence, oh, yeah. 
Let's move on. Psalm 139. This is David when he wrote. He said, in, in, he said For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So in a woman's uh, pregnancy, it says that God is in there. Knitting the child. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Look at this. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Our culture may not see that baby, but our God does. It says there, does it not? Notice how I'm sticking with the scripture. Please tell me amen. amen. I'm sticking with the Bible's perspective and some of the things that Luke was drawing out. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And I'm kind of jumping ahead there. It even says this, that before God start, has, starts forming a child, he's got a plan. Boy, does that change the perspective on things. So number five, it's this. Everybody read it out loud. God has a plan for every life being formed in the womb. Now, it's great when you know what the plan is. Okay? Uh, John the Baptist's parents were fortunate enough to hear what the plan is. They were told, he will be a great, he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. How many know, oh God, let that be my child. Why can't I get a, a promise like that? And you want, I just want to go, because God's going to make you go through the teenage years just like the rest of us had to. No offense. Teens sitting over here. Yeah, but notice this. He, will, he is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will be, go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So he's saying, Elizabeth, you're going to have a child. He's telling, telling her, her, her husband, you're going to have a child. But I, I'm going to tell, tell you in advance what the plan is. Most parents walk with their children to discover that plan. But in this case, I'm going to tell you on the front end that this is not just an ordinary child. I have a plan for this child. Let me tell you this. I know that sometimes the circumstances under which a child is born or conceived can be difficult. It can be uh, a hardship. At... Do you think that that kills God's plan? Right now, we're in the throes of this COVID and there's an interesting thing, they call it the great resignation, because so many people have left the workforce, and now there's all these jobs and not enough people. And I find it interesting, the avoidance to talk about one of the major contributors of why there's so many job openings. Because you see, in 48 years since this country has adopted abortion, in 48 years we have aborted 62 million babies. If you would simply do the math, you would recognize that at a minimum, at a minimum, 20 million of those would be in the workforce working right now. But they're not there. 
People are trying to hire people that God aborted. They're not there. They're not working. And the other part is this. If every child comes with a plan from God, we know that sometimes those plans are different from child to child. And, but I wonder how many people's cure, how many people's miracle was in that group, but because of, because of an abortion, that person's gifting, that person's miracle that they could have been, that person being a solution to somebody's problem is not there. And so... Problems perpetuate. Why? Because the messenger that God had was not allowed to breathe. We may have killed our own answers to prayer. Everything that God has ever done in my life that was an answer came with two arms and two legs on it. Translated for some of you, God used somebody else. God had somebody there to help me. And to, and to pray for us or to bless us, whatever the case may be. God has always used people to answer other people's cries for needs and help. Could it be that we're now paying the price for that? I just say this. We, you say, Pastor, I've never heard you talk like this. Well, open your ears more. <laughs> okay? We're just, like, again, you can see the way Luke wrote the account was completely counter. Do you see how honorable Zachariah was? And by the way, we, I don't, I'm not here to talk about Jesus' birth, you know, because we did that at Christmas. Now we're, But do you realize the power of life and death that Joseph had over Mary and over Jesus being born? All he had to do was, and that was it. It's over. Wow. And you see the Bible pushing back against Roman culture, saying, that's not us. We don't adopt those values. We do not abide by those principles. We don't do that. We see the activity of God inside of a woman's womb. Everybody said amen. amen. Number six, read this out loud. God wants his followers. Hey, I can remember when the church was meeting at the school when I first came and we had some children's ministry, and one of the things, we have a prayer group on Thursday night, and we had a, a list that we were praying through, and I said, one of the things I'm praying for is, God, please fill our nurseries. I want to hear the sound of children crying. Kind of seems funny to be praying that, right? But no, one of the ways that God blesses us is through And you want to say, so where did this all happen? Why are you saying that? Well, Genesis 1, 27, 28, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it. And so that's one of the things that God told us to do. And some people have adopted, well, since we got all these people all over the earth, I guess we can cancel that. And I'm going, and the verse, and the chapter and verse on that is where? Did you notice that God never canceled that? Never. So why, why is it so sacred to us? Well, actually, we have to go to the Apostle Paul. And I told you that Luke was led to Christ because of the Apostle Paul. So you almost got to believe that Luke was aware of this teaching by Paul, okay, as it relates to our bodies. You go to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? So turn to the person on your right and left and go, well, hello, God's temple. 
Yeah. Now notice this. Look at this. this I'm going to read this very slowly because you should feel the weight of what I'm saying. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. Does anybody need me to parse the Greek? Wow. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. See, that's something that we've lost. That person sitting next to you is sacred space. See, that'll tone down the anger, the animosity, the, the vitriol that comes out of people's mouths. Every person is sacred. And you together are that temple. You jump down to verse 19 in chapter 6. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Everybody read the last five words. You Oh, everybody says, my body, my choice. I go, well, you didn't obviously read the Bible. He said, man, I can't believe you're being that pointed. Because Christians are skipping scriptures because they don't like them. It doesn't agree with their party affiliation. It's not politics. It's morality. You are not your own. Totally runs counter to what this culture is pushing and telling people. No. As a follower of Christ, he owns you. And that person next to you, he owns. And God says, if you mess and you wreck that temple, you'll deal with me, he says. I will deal with you. Last point, everybody read it. Every life has the potential of being a miracle for someone else's life. The people began to recognize this about John the Baptist. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea. People were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wonder, wondered about it asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was upon him. Every life has the ability to be somebody else's miracle. One of the, listen, one of the best things that we can do in life is have a son or a daughter for the purpose of saying, God, here's a new temple. I'm giving you a, a new indwelling place through this child. That's why I want to raise them and the fear and admonition of the Lord. I want him to raise, I want him to know who you, I want him to know you got a plan for them. You got a life for them. And God, I want them to discover that if they do life right and they do life well and they do their homework and they, they're going to be somebody else's miracle. God, you'll orchestrate their steps that they'll be in the right place at the right time in front of the right person. And they're going to see that you have your hand on them. 
and that your hand is directing it. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's everybody stand across this place, would you? Would you just take a second and lift your hands? And I want you to praise him for being a God. Listen, for being a God who has a plan for your life and for everybody. Come on, let's take about 30 seconds and praise him. Would you do that? Thank him for your life. Thank him for the life that's in your family.